This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for March 30th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Network feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, there's no obligation whatsoever. Just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing page. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside, as always, Case Lowe. In case we finally have a show with some substance to bite into, a singular show. None of this Champion Gate uh, doubleheaders thing. We're talking about Memorial Gate 2021 and Wakayama happened on the 27th. In case it's good to finally kind of feel like that we are easing back into the Dragon Gate schedule and ease into it with a really fun big show. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier this afternoon that the the Western buzzometer, at least, and I think a lot of this episode, we can kind of compare and contrast the Western vibe to the intel that we have from the Native fans, but the, the Western buzzometer went from being as high as it had been in five years as we hit the backstretch of 2020 and then the final gate with the five-star match that was tremendous and during it into the year on a really high note where it felt like western fans were finally back to paying attention and taking notice of this promotion in a way that the promotion deserved because you know they've been having such a tremendous output over the past 18 months or so and then january was just kind of there and february was just kind of there and I think I think people were shaken up a little bit, were were forced to bring their eyes back to the promotion with the Kaito Ishida versus Shun Skywalker match at the beginning of March, and now with Sakamoto versus Skywalker at the end of the month. It seems like maybe some of that buzz can return to this promotion, especially because Noah is a retirement home, New Japan is whatever they are, and DDT. A bad belt factory. Bad belt. Well, <laughs> Look, New Japan's a lot of bad right now. Sorry, I was right, but it it happens. You know, people don't people don't want to listen to me. I get it. I'm right about most things, but people don't want to listen to me. And you know, DDT, you know, I I just I I I'm so disgusted with myself, Mike. I was becoming a DDT guy. I watched their last Cork and Hall show live on their little streaming gimmick. I've never watched a DDT show live in my life. And I get what I thought was an excellent Junakiyama versus Kazusada Higuchi match. I think I'm higher on it than most people. 
And what do I get for that? What do I get for my dedication, for my newfound, renewed interest, my 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 refound interest in the promotion? I get Dino coming out and challenging Akiyama. It's basically a slap in the face. I'm disgusted <laughs> with myself for I, thinking I, that DDT was coming. worth my time. I, I can't believe it. I'm so sick. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm just going to say this. Uh, it's DDT. You should always have back in your, your brain. Oh, wait. Don Kishido, Denshoku Dino might be coming out for a title challenge. And like, the disgusting thing is Akiyama is still probably going to have a great match with him because it's going to main event Cork and Hall and it's Jun Akiyama. But oh, my God, his music hit and he came out and oh, I was sick to my stomach, Mike. The good news is Dragon Gate would never do such a thing. There have been times where I've been frustrated at the promotion, times where I said, maybe I should take a break, but I don't. I power through, and then we get shows like Memorial Gate in 2021, which we have not talked about. I could hear from the the sound of your voice, the energy that you have, that maybe you liked the show a little bit more than me. Uh, and I'm very curious as we kind of go through this card how you feel about it, because it was a show that was good, but all day I was kind of struggling to come up with how to articulate the show, even writing the written review over at VoicesWrestling.com, that review took me a really long time to write because a lot of it was like, well, they built to this and then it delivered and it was good and okay, we're done here. There there was just, I, I don't feel like I could bite into a lot of things on this show. So it's interesting that you started off the show saying there was a lot for you to sink your teeth into. Well, I, I, I think... The way that I looked at the show, and maybe it was that because between doing the group preview on Voices of Wrestling and then doing a column about the uh, Dreamgate match, it had my wheels spinning about this, especially towards Kazuma Sakamoto, and that was my focus on the show, was the main event there. But everything else on the show, I mean, it's a two-and-a-half-hour B show, like B in the tier system of Dragon Gate, where you have Kobe World as your absolute S-tier top show, then you have Dead, Dead or Alive, Dangerous Gate, uh, Gate of Destiny, and Final Gate as your A shows. And then you have your Champion Gates, you have your Memorial Gates, you have your Gate of Origins. So for a B show for two and a half hours, I thought it was an incredibly fun watch. And I thought that everything was either up to my expectations with the exception of one match or exceeded it. But that all being said, I mean, we have a main event here that I think it's probably best from us like working our way from the top to the bottom but just like the overall details about it it was on the 27th it'll be up on the network for the uh, japanese vod until the third there's already commentary up on the english side as jay and ho ho loon have been happily reunited attendance case because now we could kind of compare this to stuff from last year because it's always kind of tough talking about attendance in the first year of COVID, now we can directly compare it to last year. 485, which is massively up from last year at 370. And I, looking at the shows that opened up, I did not think they had close to 500 people in this venue. It's, it's a rather big venue. But I guess, like, behind the hard cam, they, it's, a, it's a single cam show. Like, it's going to be, that's just what it is. But I was pretty impressed by how people showed up for it, and especially considering how quiet this crowd was at times. Yeah, that's that's a good house. I mean, I, I have been firmly on the side of not really in, not not being interested in discussing pandemic attendance. I think it's 
there's too many factors going on in it. But unfortunately, now that we're a year into this, we can kind of look at some year over year comparisons. Memorial Gate last year happening in August of 2020, this year happening in March. It's a good sign for me. Now, the thing is, I, I, I can't take a victory lap here and say, well, Skywalker's working as a champion. Sakamoto was a credible challenger, this and that, this and that, because Memorial Gate was one of the first shows that Dragon Gate ran with fans back after COVID-19 hit last year. There was still probably some uneasiness about the protocols that were set in place, about the safety of the venue. And now, at least from my understanding, and maybe Mike knows better than I do, but it seems like Japan is is starting to recover a little bit more. Cases are down. People are starting to have some more freedom within the venues. Uh, there was an outdoor zero one show where fans were allowed to cheer. It's it's hard to say yes, this is a win for Dragon Gate because it's still pandemic attendance, but we'll chalk it up as as a win with an asterisk. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the way I would look at it. Is I'm just directly comparing it to last year's, and it's an improvement. And if you look at the card comparing 2020-2021. Arguably, last year's card was a lot more loaded because you had Nuriki Doi up top against Ada, who is a known quantity, whereas this time you have Shun Skywalker, who his attendance in doing title matches, not bad. He is a... I wouldn't call him a big draw in the box office as much as we can tell, but I'd say that, you know, as expected, he's doing pretty well. And then Kazuma Sakamoto, who, of course... Uh, First freelancer to get a title shot since uh, Magdu Kishawada back in 2009. Had the opportunity to be the first freelancer, or rather outsider, to be Dreamgate champion since Jushin Thunder Liger. So the the fact they got close to 500 with that, and then a tag match with Kanda and Arai versus Mochizuki and Yoshida, and those are and that's what we're putting out there. I I have to look at it, at least business wise as a just absolute success. Well, the thing is, and this is kind of my big talking point coming out of this show, is we have to start looking at Skywalker's title reign as a win right now. Yes, there are still charisma issues and promo issues that we've addressed on the show. And, you know, Mike, I will credit him until the end of time that as soon as he saw Masquerade laid out, he said this is going to be their issue. And everything we've heard from the native fans is that the issue of of promos and charisma connecting with that audience has been an issue. And Mike sniffed that out immediately, and he was right. But not only do we have this attendance that's pointing in the direction saying, hey, you know, people really like Skywalker. Is he on that Yamato, Doi, Yoshino tier? No, but is he a a serviceable Dreamgate champion? Yes, and I I think serviceable would be understanding it a little bit because from an in-ring perspective, he has been tremendous now. He's been the exact sort of champion that I would want if if you told me that Shun Skywalker was going to be an Open the Dreamgate champion. Again, this reign got off to such a weird start, one with just the return and then the 14 days later beating Ata. It was it was cool, but it was rushed and it was just hard for everything to sink in. And then the Ben K match, which again, if you take away the last 90 seconds of that match when Ben K was knocked out cold and you had the awkward finish, that was a great match. I mean, that was a spreadsheet worthy match up until the botched three count, which I don't fault anybody for. It's just one of those things that happen. Skywalker then, you know, four and three quarters against Ashida. That was my rating and four and a half here against Sakamoto. I can't ask for much more from a Dreamgate champion. He's someone that I think is is battling for credibility. But when 
the moment matters when he's in that big spot, he looks credible. He feels like a champion. And it's an uphill battle, but it is a battle he is winning. And three and a half, four months into the Streamgate run, I'm incredibly impressed with the work that Shun Skywalker's doing. Yeah, so the result was Shun Skywalker making his third successful Kent, uh, defense. He gets his third dream key with the SSW and in 19 minutes, 18 seconds. And I know we were talking about it at the time, case. I still rated that Benkei title challenge. And if you, and I think I said when we talked about the title challenge, I was like, it's a shame about the uh, how this match ended because this would have been a four and a half star or higher match. And he's probably, with the exception of Kenny Omega, one of the best entering champions in the world right now. I mean, he has not missed since winning the title. It's just the, the charisma thing. That's an overall like generational issue I'd say that the company has and just Shun Skywalker kind of kind of brings it to the forefront when when your champion is not the person who's selling out all of the rally towels and it's Kota Minonora as the person in your unit who's selling the most you know it's just what it is but you know between but between the bells there's I, I I again with exception of Kenny Omega I don't think anyone has uh really performed as well as a Dreamgate champion or as a champion of a company in general. And I mean, I went four and a half stars on this match as well, Cass. I know you did. And it's something where Kazma tapped into something that we saw in pre-excursion Shun Skywalker. And I think that's what differentiated this match versus the defense against Kaido Ishida and the generational battle versus Benke. You know, the other thing that, and, and maybe it'll sound like an excuse for Masquerade. Maybe it is. I don't know. But Skywalker is at an incredible disadvantage being champion in the era that he is with these clap crowds because I am just led to believe from what I've seen from their in-ring work that if you put those masquerades, six-mans and eight-mans in front of a normal crowd, those buildings are going to be rocking. They're going to be responding to the in-ring that is happening, and that would elevate Skywalker in our eyes. But we're watching a guy that can't really speak, so he doesn't connect with the fans there, and then the fans aren't allowed to emote when he's in the ring. And it creates this just hollow feel that I think he specifically has been affected by more than other guys on the roster. There are guys in Drangate right now that feel hot and that feel over. And Skywalker is one of those guys where I'm kind of biting my fingernails on his way to the ring like, oh, I, I hope this is good. I hope he delivers. And then the bell rings and he's tremendous. But again, it's an uphill battle that I think is specifically uh, waging war against him in this exact time period. But he and Cosmo Sakamoto went out there and, and they killed it. I mean, it, luckily... I think this will end any conversation as to whether or not Sakamoto can hang in Dragon Gate, whether or not he can work this style. I, I have in my written review over at voiceofwrestling.com his second match that he worked in the promotion. I went on this whole thing about how, you know, Sakamoto's never going to challenge for the Dreamgate belt. He doesn't need to. That's not his role, but he's a guy that can work on this roster. I've seen enough in two matches to say that he can work it within this roster. I never would have imagined that he would be challenging for the Dreamgate belt, not on a Cork on Hall show, not even at Champion Gate, but on a, a Memorial Gate show. That's a pretty big deal. And not only did he hold his own, but Mike, he was terrific in this match. Yeah, and it's something that I just like look at Sakamoto, and this match started like how you'd expect, like kind of like how the uh, Ishida match was, but then Sakamoto was able to really 
use his size in a way that not just make himself look impressive, but like the second rope monkey flip that Shinsuke did, absolutely nuts. And part of that is Kazuma Sakamoto. Like part of that is like that looks impressive that way, and it, it it's something where like he 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 definitely portrayed more of a cerebral challenger. Like the the, the idea that every moonsault that Shun Skywalker hit other than his knee salt, standing knee salt, he rolls out of the way or rolls immediately to try to rolls onto his stomach or rolls to the outside. And it's just like a different kind of cerebral wrestler that, you know, with Sakamoto, we've seen him kind of as the freight train of the knee of death and everything, but it was a nice kind of edge there. And, you know, for 20 minutes there, he showed that like he could stack up with the uh, variable best in the company at this time. And, you know, it's something that, he, he has shown such a mind that I think the match that I'm really p- pulling for for King of Gate this year is Misaki Mochizuki versus Kazuma Sakamoto because I think that match between two people who seem to be people who have a very cerebral look into wrestling. And I know I've said cerebral a couple times there, guys, but... That's okay. You're the cerebral assassin. Like, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I made... I'm not Triple Tuesday. What can I say? <laughs> Even though we record on a Tuesday, I am not Triple Tuesday. But, like, these are two guys who absolutely, like get wrestling and get like the psychology behind it and i think misaki mochizuki and kazuma sakamoto would have like a sleeper number 10 match on my best of the of 2021 list but i think sakamoto delivered and i think they tapped into as i said before the kind of stuff we were seeing from shun pre-excursion where he was kind of just holding on holding on and then he had the moment with like where he started going and he hit his flying his flying big boot and he's like you know what this is it i'm i'm the Dreamgate champion he is not and i'm just going to steamroll through him and then hit one of the uh, most spinning SSWs that he's pulled off there for the win, and, you know, came away with this incredibly satisfied. Yeah, Sakamoto and Mochizuki, they they worked that empty arena King of Gate show last year, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't truly Sakamoto versus Mochizuki. It was, I, I don't want to say they were going through the motions, but it wasn't a strong match. I know there were some people that liked it. I liked a lot of stuff from those empty arena shows. That was not one that I loved. But coming out of this match, it, it, you you mentioned Sakamoto's mind, and and for whatever reason that struck a chord with me, just because, you know, he he really is a a smart wrestler, and he gets a lot out of doing a little, and I hope that he sticks around, and quite honestly, at some point down the line, I'd like to see what he can do as a babyface, and and it's not to discredit the heel unit right now, but there's a lot of guys within R.E.D. that, for as good of work as they're doing now, I think they would be incredibly interesting babyfaces in the either immediate or, or, you know, just long, long, long away future, because obviously Eita will turn at some point, and I'm very intrigued by babyface Eita. We've seen Ashida and how over he can be as a face, and I think the next time he turns, we'll see that return. SBK uh, at some case okay, so just up in there. The next time Kaido Ashida turns, that is his capital T capital R run. Thank you, sir. I I completely agree. I mean, I I think if Champion Gate showed like, hey, this guy's on the cusp of really being something, and and you know, Espiketto is probably going to be the face of this company one day. He's going to be a dynamite baby face. Hip Hop Kakuta we've seen has that sort of silent killer energy that I really like. When he turns, he'll be great. It's really, you know, Hio I think can be a heel for a very long time and stay there. Hulk at this stage in his career, I think, is far more effective as a heel than he is a baby face. 
Diamante, you know, I, I, there's who knows. Yeah, there's not a ton of character work there for for me to really sink my teeth into. I I think his in ring work would not be affected by one role or another. But I look at a guy like Sakamoto. It's like, man, I I kind of just want to see what he could do if he's teaming with you know KZ and Horiguchi or something. Not saying he's in natural vibes, but just looking at those guys on the roster. I think he would do very well in that role, and it just shows the evolution of him in this promotion of even, you know, again, I, I was a supporter for match one. I saw that he could hang, but going, oh, he's, you know, he's an undercard heel, that's fine. Then going, well, you know, he's he's pushed, but he's good, so I'm okay with it. And now I think, like, man, I, I kind of want this guy to be a bigger part of the booking plan. It's like, he's that good. Yeah, and it's something where he's over. Like, that's the thing that really is, is because... I know you're someone that really likes looking at the uh, the at like the uh, native response, but like all the promo stuff, he's over, and I'd be interested in seeing that face run as you supported, just because I think that he has the charisma to make it work. It was a super impressive match. Like I said, I was at four and a half. Mike was at four and a half. It's it's definitely a must watch if you haven't seen anything from the promotion this year. I think the January 12th open the Twin Gate match, the Shun Skywalker versus Kaito Ishida match from Osaka, and then this match. Those are your big three that you need to watch because I, this was it was just everything I wanted it to be. Sakamoto hit Skywalker hard. Skywalker bounced all across the ring. He did some big flips. He did some dives. Then he fought back. My favorite spot of the match, uh, besides the monkey flip, which I just lost my mind over, but these guys went like Brian Danielson, Nigel McGinnis towards the finish and started trading headbutts with one another. And I have never seen a Dreamgate match where there are headbutts uh, back and forth like that. Yeah, I mean, as much as Shingo Takaki will hit a headbutt, he would not just, it would be one headbutt and that's it, you know? Yeah, like he, it's, it was just nice to see because that's, that's the underrated part of Shun is that when he has to throw hands or heads... He can really do that, and I thought he looked credible. I thought he looked tough. Like I said, at this point, I have talked myself in. I I am in on this Shun Skywalker run as champion. I My guess is he'll probably lose the belt in June, and if he doesn't lose the belt in June, then he'll go into Kobe World as champion, and he'll lose the belt to, I, I think Mike and I's pick at this point is Yamato, but... Still, I, I am into this title run now. I, I was fired up, uh, for lack of a better term. I was fired up coming out of this match. Should we talk about the post-match now or talk about it after match three? Mike, let's talk about the post-match now. So right as basically Shun was taking the photo with the dignitary who, I, I don't know exactly what they, they I, I guess it's like the, the pointed outside official for these things. They always do this in Dragon Gate and I find it very fascinating. Sometimes it's like mayor, sometimes it's governors, but I don't know who it was this time. Uh, basically, as soon as the person handed over the belt, the key, the key was on the belt and the certificate, Hip Hop Kakuta hit the ring, jumped legitimately five feet into the air and just clocked uh shun skywalker with his hip and has announced that he is is not that he's asking for a challenger he's named himself the next challenger we have that match signed and it is at a very interesting point case because it will be the semi-main event of dead or alive will be shun skywalker making his fourth defense of the open the dream gate champion champ championship against hip-hop kakuda before Hip Hop Kakuta officially has his one year anniversary. There's a lot to unpack here. I can't go any further without mentioning that words cannot do justice to the hip attack that Hip Hop Kakuta hit on Shun Skywalker. This man, his ass acted like a sniper rifle. 
and he nailed Shun Skywalker in the face. Like like Mike said, legitimately jumped like five feet in the air. It was incredible. And now we are at a point. Or go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Oh, it, it was something where like it, 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 if the Vine or TikTok teens had an opportunity to do this, you would put the Grand Theft Auto fade to black and wasted <laughs> on it. It was that good of a hip attack. We gotta get tiktok teens in on hip-hop kakuda i i could see that getting over i i don't do the tiktok my boss uh i i work in media and my boss just made me download tiktok and i was like i don't i don't understand it i follow one person on there there's a very pretty girl that paints and i was like well shit i'm into that content i mean i'll watch that all day (laughs) but i i don't i don't understand the culture of it i had a real cultural crisis today i'm just bummed out about the way we're consuming art and the art that's being created. And I don't like the fact that I'm looking at my phone 500 times a day, but I, it's, I mean, it's, it's literally all that I do and it sucks and I don't like it, but I've, I, it, I mean, it's a complete and utter addiction. And now I have pretty girls panning on TikTok, which is not the worst thing. I will be addicted to that, but it's still, I just wish the teens would get in on hip hop Kakuda because I think that act could be over with the with the ominous casual fan. <laughs> I mean, Linky is held, dude, who is literally pear-shaped, and they are just <laughs> going with it. Yeah, I mean, he's thick with two Cs. It's he's uh, God, he's incredible. 11 months into his pro wrestling career, the point that I will continue to reemphasize, he has not wrestled a match in front of a normal crowd. He debuted in an empty arena, he toured with the clap crowds. He is now being pushed in front of the clap crowds. 11 months into his career, he is challenging for the Open the Dreamgate title. Is he headlining? No, but who gives a shit? He's second from the top on one of the five biggest shows of the year. And oh, by the way, his contemporary, another 21-year-old, is in the main event. Mike, this is absurd. Yeah, you know how for the last 18 months case, we've been like, oh yeah, guys, this is the time to get in because they're building up and setting up for the next generation. Proof right here, where you have two guys, one guy who's 21, one guy who has not yet turned 25 and doing a title match, and Shun Skywalker, less than five years into his career, Hip Hop Kakuda, we're not even at one year. And then you look at the main event, the uncrowned best rookie in the world for 2021 in his hometown main eventing and is probably going to be the person getting the big push coming out of that match. So it's remarkable stuff and it's something really to kind of keep an eye on as now we are pretty much full speed ahead to dead or alive. And, you know, they already have the two main matches there. And at this point with how they draw and how they put stuff together, there will probably be, There'll be a Twin Gate and a Triangle Gate match, probably. Who knows at this point? Because I don't think they'll be having five big matches on this show. But they are lo- but they are loading things up here. And there's I'm right now on the Dragon Gate English Facebook page. And maybe it is Facebook's uh, interesting way of cropping out. There's a lot of people who are front and center uh, on this uh, Dead or Alive 2021 poster who do not yet have a match, including uh, Naruki Doi, KZ, Eita, and... And, of course, Masato Yoshino. 
Yeah, I think a lot of this card is going to come down to whether or not Yoshino wrestles, and obviously I hope he does. I would hate for him to miss his final Dead or Alive show, but when you have two matches like this, and I think the main event, that cage match that is SB Kento and Dragon Kid against Kai and Yamato with the, the losing team then going into a singles match and the loser of that singles match losing the his hair or his mask, that main event feels really hot to me. Uh, I Every indication I have from this go-home angle at Memorial Gate is that Kakuta versus Skywalker is off to the right start, which means you're put in a position where you can do kind of whatever you want on that undercard. My guess is we're going to get either a 9-man or a 12-man Triangle Gate match with natural vibes in there against a high-end team, a masquerade team, an RED team, and then uh, if another unit forms great or some you know unaffiliated trio at that, it's it's very exciting, and, you know, again, we prepped you. We said this is the next generation, thinking, at least for me, thinking, well, you know, by, you know, 2023, 2024, these guys will be established. It's here. It's now, and it irks me to some extent when I read a critical commentary, a valid critical commentary of other wrestling promotions, and it's not an us-versus-them thing. I have no loyalty to Drangate. I just happen to, you know, obviously love the promotion. It just seems like Drangate does so many things that fans claim to want from wrestling, and they're off of this little island, and it drives me nuts. It just, I just want to bring people into this party because they do so many things not only so well, but just better. Just, it's just such an excellent prestigious brand and I love the fact that a 24 year old is wrestling a 21 year old for the world title and we're not scratching our heads at it it feels right it feels like it's the right time for this match that's incredible and and, and it's something that I, I I'm with you until you pay me I will be critical as soon as you pay me I will tow whatever line you want to and, please and pay just me just to be clear we can be bought very easily by Gaiora by Dragon Gate if Cyber Agent wants to get in touch with me brother I'll be pumped for that Akiyama versus Dino match you just make sure the money deposits I mean do you know how many dog toys Pudge has gone through in the last week like straight up like it, and it's one of those things that like that they kind of like stack up at a certain point so yes like if it, i am more than willing to the dms are open but it, it's just remarkable and just kind of like variant that because like you had this happen and it felt like a big time angle at the end of this and provided some direction where we're where i feel like i can't speak of your case but i was like all right there's no way kazma was going to retain whereas with kaido ishida i couldn't dismiss that out of hand but Looking forward and looking towards that or alive, I, I thought that was a giant question mark. Well, hell, we'll just like throw in one of our rookies in the semi main event in a title match in a very because our main event is so protected because you have Dragon Kid in his hometown, SB Kento in his hometown versus the face that runs the place, Yamato, and everyone's favorite scumbag Kai. Like, it's just it's a master stroke there. And then going back on your point of like people trying to get invested in here i thought that i i know that you watch this live or mostly live i just it it, it was something where like i was not gonna i thought about staying up late for it case but it just was not happening that night but then i caught the english commentary jay and ho ho loon are back together 
and boy did the chemistry never stop there and it was just like a great two and a half hours maybe that's another reason why i was so high on it was because jay was cracking jokes about hip-hop kakuda's big ass and ho ho loon this the, the very naive person he is was not getting him yeah i uh, i did not watch the show live i had a a woman come over to my apartment on friday night um not a super pleasant experience it was kind of one of those deals where it was like oh we'll hang out and then we'll watch a movie and when the hanging out portion was done i was like i'm ready for her to leave my apartment now and we still had to sit there and watch a movie so my sleep schedule was off i'm not mentioning that uh to brag i'm mentioning that because i was doing a poor journalistic job i did not watch the show live i watched it the next morning uh but it sounds like the english commentary delivered is that fair to say I mean, the the one of the lines was it was like he how is he allowed to have all of that and uh, referring to hip hop Kakuda's ample uh, butt and Ho Ho Loon saying, "Do you think he has to get extra new tights made?" <laughs> I I love them. I love that pairing so much. It, it, it's very very charming and, and they were great across all the show if you're wondering when ho ho loon shows up it's part way through match two <laughs> as he should that was the one question i had for mike on the english commentary is when does ho ho get into the booth it's like oh right you know right after he was done <laughs> exactly exactly perfect perfect up uh, unless you have anything else let's talk about the other title match on the show let's do it in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. 
you can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. All right. This was for the Open the Twin Gate titles. This was the champion team of Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida versus the challenger team of Yazushi Kanda and Kanichiro Arai. The champion team would make their first successful defense after a combination Senkaku Gary to the face into a cyber bomb where Yoshida penned Kanda. So I think I figured out this Twin Gate run that Mochizuki and Yoshida are going to have very middling, occasionally bad, and often uneventful road to trios matches teaming with Fuji or Ultimo or whoever else. And then when the bell rings in these title matches, Takashi Yoshida is going to work his ass off in ways that because this guy was so lazy for so long, it is hard for me to compute in my brain just how good he is as a babyface. It's amazing that he was a heel for 13 straight years when this guy <laughs> is one of the most natural and lovable faces that I can remember, at least in recent memory. I mean, this guy just works in front of this audience, and they're so receptive to him. And it's great. This match completely over-delivered. Was it a great match? No. Was it a very good match? Absolutely it was. Yeah, like, it was something that uh, Yoshida, his ring work, is not going to be my cup of tea. It's something that I've been through enough of it that, like, you could fool me a lot of times, but eventually I'm not going to trust you. But character-wise and teamwork with Masaki Mochizuki, this is tremendous stuff. And this match, I would say, frankly, over-delivered. Like, I walked into like, this match thinking, like, hey, if they get three and a quarter stars, this is going to be a pretty solid defense. But then Eric and, and Kanda both held up there in the bargain, too. I mean, we got sneaky technique master uh, Kanichiro Rai to start this match, and it kept this at a very quick pace which if you consider the combined age i think you're talking about close to 200 of everyone in this match and it's something where yet again takashi yoshida has upheld his end of the bargain and you know it was something where like you look at the challenger tag team of kanda and arai and you're just naturally like okay i know what's going to happen here but they went out there and for 13 minutes they had a hell of a semi-main event that i went three and three quarters on there's a part of me that hopes that this is the last time that Arakan and Kanda are ever in title matches because they went out with a bang if this is their last one. You know, years from now when we're scrolling through cage match and, you know, we're going, oh, remember this, remember this. If this is the last time that Arakan is in a title match, at least a Dragon Gate title match, because that man will be winning Guts World heavyweight titles until the end of time. But if this is his last Dragon Gate title match, we'll be able to look back on this and go, man, wasn't that fun? Like, Arakan was the Triangle Gate champion, and then he hurt his shoulder, and then COVID happened, uh, unrelated as far as I'm concerned. And then he comes back a year later and, and has this really fun Twin Gate match. Man, it's nice that he ended his career, his, you know, big-time player career on such a high note. And the same can be said for Kanda, who for years was 
not only not good, but at times actively bad. And I thought he held up his end of the bargain here as well. This was just, this match put a smile on my face. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that really since, uh, since uh, Toribon Generation formed and he joined up with them, you know, for the last, I guess it's close to almost a year and a half, you, you know, he's not full-time. He only shows up on, like, the bigger television shows and then the big events, but he's put his best foot forward. He's never been a detriment, and I, I will always have a place in my heart for Kenichiro Rai in Twin Gate matches case. I hope he has another 10 Twin Gate matches. I hope he go finds Taku Awasa from his uh, from Awasa's dad's insurance office and says, come on, dude. We, we we got it. We got some belts to win. Like that's what I'm hoping for here. But you know, like this is something that like this is like when we talk about Memorial Gate in history. And I know I talked a little bit about that last week. This was this was a match that kind of would have been a pre Dragon Gate Network Memorial Gate main event, and it's it over delivered. Do we have any feel for who could be next in line for Mochizuki and Yoshida? Because unless I miss <laughs> no something, clue. yeah, I really no clue. It, it's it's amazing, and I think I I'm so glad the show ended with a Dreamgate angle because it it gave us something going forward other than the cage match to look forward to. But God, with Mochizuki and Yoshida, it could be anyone, and they it might be one of those deals where they're not defending the belts in April or at Dead or Alive, and then you have King of Gates, so they might not be defending the belts until June. Would that surprise you if we just don't see the Twin Gates in action for another two and a half months? I think that with the way they've built up the Sapporo uh, triple, now quadruple shot, uh, one of the shows is not going to be on the network, but they have another show they're doing in Sapporo as well, would be, would be kind of... It matters how big they're going with King Gate this year. If it's a knockout tournament again, then I think they'll probably put a Twin Gate match there. But if it's a... If they're turned around Robin play, I don't know. Like, it's usually a safe bet. I mean, Fukuoka will probably get the finals, as usual. So I, I'm right now doing the schedule of Dragon Gate in my head right now, Case, which is very skate scary. And it's something that says a lot about me as a person. But... uh I think we'll probably see one beforehand, but we don't have the full schedule up yet for June, and that's what gives me a little bit of pause. But looking at how things are, would not be surprised at the Sapporo uh, double shot. Oh, the uh, Fukuoka probably won't be the finals this year, case because Fukuoka is having their double shot in May versus June, when they usually do. Uh, I could see it happening in Fukuoka or Hokkaido, because I don't think it's going to be happening at Korkin or at Dead or Alive. Hokkaido is interesting... Uh, I know at least in 2016, they ran a triple shot there and two, I think two of the shows were headlined by King of Gate matches. And then the final night they did a six man tag. It was Monster Express versus Tribe Vanguard, Tozawa Yoshino and T-Hawk against Hulk, KZ and Yamada. So that was a, that was a loaded six man. Realistically, you could put a triangle gate match or I'm sorry, a twin gate match in that spot. So Yes, I've now talked myself out of that. I think we'll get it at some point in May. It'd be nice just because I like those Hokkaido crowds, and I, I, I like that the vibe that those those shows gave off in December. I would rather them stick the Twin Gate match at Fukuoka, but we will see. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting because this is the this is the title match I can see them skipping at, at uh, Nagoya for Dead or Alive. Very um, much so. And, uh, any more thoughts on this before we start talking about the second annual Wakayama Rules winning tornado match? 
Wakayama tornado winning match, three-way unit fight. Mike, you have the floor for uh, this <laughs> hodgepodge of a match. All right, so this is the Wakayama tornado winning match, three-unit fight, Masquerade versus High End versus R.E.D. Opening the show, they did their traditional now, since they've done it twice in a row case, I'm calling it traditional, their traditional draw where they eat umeboshis, which are pickled prunes sometimes in a pastry and whoever got the delicious one out of the first three would go in first and then the, uh, the two people who got bad ones then would did a, do another one where the delicious one would enter second and the person who sadly had eat two bad umeboshis had to go in third and then basically it's kind of like a war games match three on three on three but the the only like big thing the entry order is like a war games match the per the, the team that had the first good uh, Umeboshi goes in first. You start off one versus one versus one. Every 60 seconds, someone else comes out filling out the rotation. Just so I can clarify it there. The the lottery order was R.E.D. first, Masquerade second, High End third. We started off with S.B. Kento, Jason Lee, and Dragon Kid. And then the entry order from there was Kai of R.E.D., Lastre of Masquerade, Keisuke Akuda of High End. And then the final three were Eita of R.E.D., Kota Minonora from Masquerade and Yamato, the last entrant from High End. The two falls as it was swept by R.E.D. Kai scored both falls. The first fall was eliminating Masquerade, penning Kota Minonora with the Meteo Impact in 1536. And then the final fall was a low blow, then inside cradle on Yamato, eliminating High End in 18 minutes and 10 seconds. R.E.D. wins their second straight uh, Wakayama Tornado winning match. Much like the first one, a very good but not great match. And this one, I really feel like it took a while to get going. Uh, there was just not not a lull, but up until the ninth man, Yamato, entered the ring, it was just there. It was a nice little match. And then once Yamato hit the ring, things kick into high gear. You had Masquerade doing a tremendous job of flying all around the ring. And then you get the heat on Kai, and you got Kai picking up both those pinfalls there, which on paper I'm a little put off by, but seeing as how we're on the road to Dead or Alive, I did not mind it. I thought it was well done. Yeah, it, as soon as it was very clear, and this is another thing that Jay did tremendous on commentary, made it very clear that, hey, he has a direct pinfall now over his tag team partner in the Prejas Increible, Revelos Suicidas, uh, cage match he has a pin over Yamato so he has some momentum going there and then pinning Kota Minonora when Jason Lee is the fall guy in Masquerade right now I mean they made sure that Kai got over strong but yeah it was something where like the first uh, seven minutes of this match were very kind of plodding just sloppy but fine just kind of brawling since it was tornado rules until all teams were entered into the match so it just kind of was there and then the remaining uh I guess two thirds of the match. Then they went to the three versus three versus three style, and I felt like it picked up. But it's it's something where I feel like that this concept it's a neat thing for the local fans, and the fact that this is Wakayama's match, and it will be that way to conclude. It was a very good match, but it did not break as high as I think it would have been if they just did a street a straight three way six man. I, I like it. I hope they keep doing it. It's honestly a match that. I, I would I would like to see more of it. This seems like the type of thing that if Drangi, you know, ran this out on multiple big sto- shows throughout the year, they could really work out the kinks and make this match special because I think there's something to this gimmick. I think there's a reason they return to it. 
there's a lot you can play with there, and I just don't know if they've quite figured out how to make the most of it yet, but it feels like it's a match that's worthy of their time. And and this one was on its way to being very good. The finish was abrupt and it was effective because, you know, Yamato and Kai were going into what I thought was going to be a pretty exciting finishing stretch, and then Kai just hit him with the inside cradle and rolled him up. And I was like, oh, damn it, Kai, I wanted to see where this was going. Why do you have to win the match right now? <laughs> so on one hand, very effective. And I, and I, it was one of those matches where it, it, the star rating system will hurt it because of how good Kai's heel work was here. But a, another match that served its purpose, that I think everyone came out looking good. You know, La Estrella was able to hit his big spots. The one guy, actually, that I thought was kind of lost in the shuffle was Kaisuke Akuda. Did he leave an impression on you one way or another? I mean, this was kind of a match where Okuda, with his style, like, is going to kind of fall back, right? Like, th- this kind of style, they really haven't worked the bantamweight multi-team matches to effectiveness yet. So I don't think it's necessarily on him. I just don't think this is a match that necessarily plays to his strengths, if that makes sense. That, that's that's exactly it. He didn't have a Sheeta in there to kick and punch with, and because of that, you know, he, he didn't really go after SBK. He didn't really go after Kai. He didn't have any sequences with Ata. There's no one, I guess with the exception of Jason Lee, but they didn't go in that direction where he could really slug it out with on the Masquerade side. So you look at the nine guys here, and I, I, I feel like eight of them really contributed something, and Akuda was the one left in the dust. But that's that's not a knock on him, because I'm sure come May, when he's defending the Brave Gate again, or I guess, you know, April with the Punch Tabanaga deal that I would like to forget about, he'll be fine. It was just one of those things in this match, he did not really jump out at me. Yeah, it, it it's something where, like, in these kind of matches, like, the best way that these matches are executed is when it becomes a very flowing kind of all-out sprint, and sprint's something that I think kind of gets overused at sometimes, but it, it's something that, like, it should be completely go. You have nine people in there, so you don't really need to have any rest spots or anything like that, and, you know, that's just not going to be something that plays to his strengths, and I think that with his match type, that unless he was the first person who came out and then spent the next seven minutes just, just as soon as someone hits the ring, knocking them out, hanging the ring, knocking them out. It's just going to be a weird fix, a weird place for him. And he didn't really have someone that he could face off against, but I still, th- I, I still thought this was very good. I still went three and a half stars on it. I'm a quarter star higher than you. I was at three and three quarters. And Mike, we talked about someone with Kaisuke Akuda who didn't make a very good impression of that match. Well, the match before it, there was a youngster that certainly jumped off the page. And Case, you always let me take my lap about Masquerade and Shin Skywalker. You called this one. You called Kakuda getting the win here. This was Binkei versus Hip Hop Kakuda in the singles match on the show. Hip Hop Kakuda won with a snap stuff pile driver in 15 minutes and 23 seconds. This is true. I did call this as I was leaving the show in a panic last week, and I do apologize to our listeners. I had to deal with a very uh, real work emergency. Everyone's fine. It's fine. I did have to leave the show, though, but I wanted to get in my take that Kakuto was going to beat Ben K in this match. I was correct. I did not think this would lead directly into a Dreamgate match. I really wish I had my crystal ball going, so I would have predicted that. But as soon as I saw this match on paper, you know, uh, Ben K's in a spot where he's in a protected unit. He's going to be pushed. He's going to have plenty of opportunities to get wins. Kakuta was, you know, in the balancing act. You know, he could have gone one way or another. I think a loss would have really hurt him, and a win would have really helped him. And Dragon Gate is in the business of elevating their young stars, so I knew that he was going to get the win in this match. 
it's unfortunate that I didn't really love this match. And I, I, I sent you a message about it, and then we, we started talking about something else off the air be, before we started recording. So I don't know what you thought about this match, and I, I would really like your thoughts. I thought that this was seeing the main event angle and seeing that Kakuta now holds the dream key. I'm okay with it a little bit more than watching it in the moment, but I still think that this match, like you did the comp in your review to the uh, match he had against Strong Machine J that was very underwhelming after Ben K lost the title. This match was dry. The uh, Wakayama crowd, which had like a moment where they did do some calls during the show. I forget which match it was, but there were calls on this show. Oh, it was during HAGE in the opener that the crowd did chant back HAGE and immediately went like, oh, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> but in this match, I mean, they were just kind of sitting on their hands and then this match kind of like, it was a 15-minute match that felt every bit of it. The work there, they saved a bad finish. It was clear that the Hand of God uh, Discus Lariat was not flush and credit to both of them going like, all right, plan B, stuff pile driver. And even if that was plan a was the lariat and the stuff pile driver it was a smart finish given how the hand of god did not look that impressive but it still was like 15 minutes like leading up to it and just had like a very weird dynamic like i know that like ben k will be fine but it was very much a well this is what ben k is up to match dot 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 and i went three stars flat on it and i am not concerned about hip-hop Kakuta as a singles wrestler. No. It, it, it is worth mentioning, this was, and I, Mike, I don't know if you realize this, this was his first televised singles match. The only other time he's wrestled a singles match was November 27th of last year on the Kanda and Ben K homecoming show where he in wrestled. Chiba, right? In, in Chiba. Chiba, where he wrestled Shun Skywalker. Yeah, and then Shun Skywalker at that time was being everyone within 10 minutes with the SSW, so it was not one really to go with but yeah no i mean this is this was a big test for kakuta and i wouldn't say that he aced it but i feel like he passed it yeah it was it was a passing grade it's one of those you know we call it a b minus or a c plus i'm not going to split the hairs there there's certainly uh, a reason to be cautious i wouldn't say it's a cause for concern but there's a reason to be cautious there's plenty of room to improve, and I trust that literally every other body of work that we've seen Kakuta involved in, he's crushed it. I think he'll be able to figure this out here. I just, you know, Ben K, for as great as he is, and he is great, and I, I would say great, bolded, underlined, italicized, he has these matches every once in a while, the Strong Machine J match being one of them, but just throughout his career, every once in a while you get a Ben K match that just isn't really what you want it to be. And I, I thought this was clunky. It was just, it never found the gear that I was looking for. It it didn't feel like a fight, like the bantamweight style that we talk about, but it also didn't feel fluid like a typical Drangate match. It was a, a match that might've even looked better in other promotions, but match three on a Drangate show, this is just not what I was hoping for from it. But now Kakuta not only has the Lariat, he has the pile driver and I'm still looking forward to the match with Skywalker. We've talked about that plenty on this episode. It is interesting, though, that, you know, his first singles match was not exactly a huge win. And it's something where, and I know that we said Ben will be fine, but there's the evidence that Ben's not necessarily a tremendous wrestler against larger guys, which I think is now a fair thing to say, because, like, I, I can't think of, like, 
a performance that against someone that and Dragon Gate is a smaller wrestler's company. Like to be fair, like it's something that these two guys are easily one of the f- top five biggest guys in this company. The, between the two of them, he just I just can't think of very many matches where it's like like he didn't get into really an opportunity with Shuji Kondo before he tore his a, his Achilles tendon. Him inside him and Takashi Yoshida, I just you my, my thoughts on Yoshida already <laughs> well documented at this point, but. He doesn't. The onus I would put on this match is not on Kakuda. I think the onus in this match is on Binke, and this is like a giant like head scratcher. And from now on, like if Binke is kind of a match against Cosmo Sakamoto, I'm gonna have this creeping thought in my mind that being like Binke doesn't necessarily have great matches against guys who are taller than him, other than like Shun Skywalker. Yeah, that's a very interesting point that I hadn't I hadn't really thought of. But you know, he he works Skywalker like Skywalker is a junior. You know, he's able to throw him around, and the same can be said for who I think is Binke's best opponent, Masaki Mochizuki. They're roughly the same height, certainly not the same size as Binke. You know, looks like he's about two Mochizukis in terms of width and muscle. But when they wrestle, Binke is able to throw Mochizuki around. Same thing with Naruki Doi. Same thing with Masaru Yoshino. Same thing with Keizi. Same thing with Pac. Those are the guys that Binke has really delivered against. It's to your point, though, you know, this match, the Strong Machine J match, and a few matches that he's had with Yamato, where I always feel like they're really, really good, but they could have been better. It's something that he struggles with. He needs these clearly defined roles, and he needs needs guys that mirror him so Ben right. K can exude what he does best, which is throw guys around and look strong and look menacing. He can't do that against, against Kakuta. Strong Machine J is too big and, quite honestly, too fragile, and Yamato doesn't really bump like that, and that is where we've seen him hit these roadblocks in the past. And it's something that this might seem like for our listeners that we are being kind of tough on him but something that like we really are at this point now within this company and as we've seen this generation shift here i mean ben is one of the older people that will be leading the company here and he's someone that i mean they prepared him for a certain way they prepared him like that if we want to talk about like hundreds across the board the push into him finally ensuing pack was as good as you could see in pro wrestling but it's something that's just going to be like a notable question mark. I feel like going further with him, it's just going to be like, how's it going to be against someone that does not let Ben have like a Ben match. And I think Yamato actually, you bring up Yamato is a very interesting point because Yamato is his own person who has a very set style that there, that is very, that there's a big disparity. I would say between people's opinions of Yamato as a big singles match worker. Absolutely. It's, you know, look, Big K is a former Dreamgate champion, okay? He's got he's to be able to deliver in spots like this. It's just something that he has to do. Right, you're right. And then we get into match two. Match two is R.E.D. versus an unaffiliated tag team that were all basically just a bunch of dudes. Literally a bunch of dudes. As it was the R.E.D. team of B.B. Hulk, Kaido Ishida, and Diamante versus the... I don't even know how to like call the relationship he has with Team Boku now. I guess associate of Team Boku, Ultimo Dragon, Bokudomo Dragon, and for one night only, Boku Kakatora. Diamante got the win because Bokudomo Dragon got DQ'd for switch for stripping Diamante's match, mask in 11 minutes and 20 seconds. This match pissed me off. I, I didn't like this at all. <laughs> it was not... It, I. It was something where, like, this was the match that, I don't know if you saw the preview, where I was like, they're going to try to accomplish two things in this match, and I don't know if it's going to work. And it did not necessarily work. 
Well, yeah, the the issue is that I, I felt like we got past the comedic part of this feud when Shimizu hit the shot put slam and Kobe Sambo Hall. And it's frustrating because the mask switch spot where Bukaltimo, you know, ends up taking Diamante's mask and Diamante ends up taking Bukaltimo's mask. Funny spot in a vacuum. It was one of those deals where it was funny, but it wasn't effective. It wasn't really what I was looking for from this match at all. And then I, I, yeah, just, I thought the work was sloppy. I hated the direction that they went. I'm also curious because you watched the English feed. I did not. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if there was any sort of trepidation in Jay's voice towards the finish watching this match. It, to me, it looked like they fucked up the finish. It looked to me like they were both supposed to unmask each other, but Diamante couldn't get the mask off of Shimizu's head. Maybe that's just how I read it. I would like your thoughts. And if the English commentary team uh, leaned one way or another, uh, the English commentary team is with us on this. We thought this was a double DQ. My notes, I had it as a double DQ. I did not, I do not read the results until I watch a show. So I did not know that technically it was Diamante getting the fall here. Cause I thought that was double DQ too. And, and Jay and Hoho were kind of in the same page there. And everyone thought that, um, they there. I forgot who was on ring announcer. Was it Ono or was it Kikuchi? I'm trying to remember who was on ring announcing, but like Jay made points is like, let's see what the ring announcer has to say because like they just didn't. And then Jay was like, well, I guess Diamante, uh, actually wins this mask this match here but it just was like a mess and like they try to do the tightrope between we're building up to this uh apuestas match and then we're also this is going to be our big comedy match on the show and i wrote about my review that this is going to be a hard thing for them to kind of they're, they're going to try to accomplish two things here and the problem is when you try to accomplish two things and it's not done well you don't accomplish anything at all that makes me feel much better because i i really hated this finish just because one i just it's not what i wanted but two I think they messed up the finish. I think Shimizu's mask was supposed to come off and it didn't. And it left everybody awkward and confused. So uh, just a a failure all around. Awkward and Shimizu. (laughs) Those things tend to go hand in hand. Yeah. 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 I went too flat, you know, just was not good. It It was, was... it was below average professional wrestling. It was. And for a company like Dragon Gate where everything else on the show, I was three stars or higher. And I think you were as well. The fact that this was like the bad match here. And that kind of shows like the form. Cause I remember there was a time case where I would be DMing you about Kobe Sambo hall shows that you wisely skipped where it was like, I was throwing twos at it. Like I was a Clemson away fan traveling to, I don't know, Miami. I was throwing twos at it like this. And this is like, I can't remember the last time they've had a match that I've disliked this much on pay-per-view. Yeah, you threw me for a loop with your college football reference there. I, I vaguely understand what you're talking about. Oh, uh, I, I, I guess I'll explain the joke. Uh, Clemson fans traditionally hand out special $2 bills. They have like their dumb Clemson stamp on it because it's some weird tradition they have that whenever they're traveling, they pay with $2 bills. Real hayseed stuff, to be honest. You know, where I grew up in Indiana, which is a, a town in central Indiana, there was an SEC recruiter that moved to that town because SEC schools for the story that I was told was SEC schools needed smarter kids. And they pinpointed the area that I grew up in as an area that was affluent enough to be able to afford those schools with kids that were much smarter than the average SEC school. So 
I ended up with like a whole fleet of kids in my high school that went to Alabama and that went to Clemson and that went to South Carolina and 98% of them transferred back to Indiana after their freshman year. Uh, the South is a strange place. The South is not for everybody. And unfortunately, the Clemson $2 bill tradition uh, did not rub off on the people that went there from Indiana. Well, for the record, Clemson's ACC. Oh my God, how embarrassing of me. Well, th- my God, we might have had an ACC recruiter there too, because I know a lot of kids that went to Clemson. And, you know, with all due respect to the ACC, you know, there's some Carolinas in there that probably need some academic help. I, I mean, Clemson is an agricultural school, to be fair. Like, South Carolina was the school that all the uh, rich kids went to, whereas the people who were coming from their farms went to Clemson. What What is the... I guess, is there like a stereotype of the you? Like, what is the type of student that ends up at Miami? Uh, first and foremost, there is, and it's not people from Florida. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's a private school versus Florida and Florida State. So th- there is a significant thing, but like you'll get people who either live in, or are Miami natives and just are never going to leave the city of Miami. You'll get some people from like Palm Beach, Broward County, which is Fort Lauderdale coming down, but vast majority of the people in it it was a different experience for me because i was in grad school but talking to my brother and my brother being in an undergrad while i was at grad school i kind of got exposed to it mostly northeast like northeast expats who want to go to a school that is very pretty that is a decent academical school academic school and they want to party a whole lot my only connection to the university of miami is that and i don't know if you played this game or not but ncaa mvp baseball 2007 which, oh, you, you got to play at the light. It, it might be it might be the best video game ever. It, it's it's up there. I mean, I played that game for hours upon hours upon hours, and I ran a franchise with the Miami Hurricanes, and I still remember some of the NCAA generated player names from the save that I had because I would play that game so much, and I loved my little squad, and I missed that game. <sighs> college baseball. I love college baseball. It's the it's the one college sport that I follow somewhat actively. Hey, it's something that University of Miami, one of the most prestigious schools in college baseball, which you probably heard a lot of clips about Miami being one of the most winning teams in college World Series history. This so. is this is true. That's uh, I, I would I would eventually like to get down to Omaha for a weekend. It's the one thing. You know, it, this is a very real, very real moment on the Open the Voice Gate podcast. My dad has done a lot of cool things in his life. He has not been to the College World Series, and that is something I would like to take him to one day. Oh, no, absolutely. My dad and I and my brother, we've talked about this, like the two places that my dad has like talked about as he's fully vaccinated. It's like, well, I've never been to Cooperstown and I've always wanted to go to Omaha for the College World Series. Have you been to Cooperstown? No, I've not. I, 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 I the here is the, uh, the the country mouse coming out other than New York City for WrestleMania weekend and visiting a friend who went to forget what school it was up there in Sarah what what college is in Saratoga Springs it, it, it's a hippie school <laughs> you are asking the wrong guy and I'm in college but uh I I, I don't know I, I will say this though I- no but no I've not been to Cooperstown I've not been most I've not gone really north of New York City other than Skidmore Skidmore is in Saratoga Springs the the issue with Cooperstown is that you have to get to Cooperstown because it's right. just out in the fucking middle of nowhere. But when I was 12, either 12 or 13, I played a baseball tournament in Cooperstown. There's youth fields all over the place there. And it's like mm-hmm. it's 
it, you know, it, it's a big deal to play there. Now, it just so happened that the team I was on that year was abysmal and we got blown out in, in literally every game. But going to Cooperstown, the whole the whole town is very cool. And then going to the Hall of Fame, it is awesome. Uh, and it's one of those things that I would even recommend to the most casual baseball fan. I think for as you know, batshit crazy as the electoral process is, the museum itself is beautiful and it is so well done. So I would highly recommend that if you ever get the chance with, again, the caveat being you have to go to Cooperstown, which is a, quite the hike. Yeah, I was going to say, Cooperstown, is, it, it's not, like, close to Albany, is it? Like, like you're it's not close to, fly to nothing. In. I mean, it's it's yeah. just a nightmare to get to. Yeah, no matter where you're going, you're going to be driving a bit to get there. And that's always been, like, one of those things, like, it, and it seems like that, like, within COVID and everything like that, since they've not been able to have Hall of Fame induction ceremonies and all, like, the, the trips like this, like, I wonder how cities or towns, really, I mean, Cooperstown's not a big town, I think, but I wonder how these places have done with the uh, with COVID, just because of how much their industry is so reliant on tourism, it, it's, you know, it, it, Cooperstown is specifically somewhere that I've thought about a lot over the past year because that entire town is just it's everything is baseball themed. It's geared towards people coming in in the spring and summer and fall and either playing baseball tournaments there or spending you know a weekend at the Hall of Fame. And I would hate to think that some of those stores or restaurants have gone away because it really, it really left an impression on me of like, God, you know, everything is local here. Everything is small. And it's just, it's, it's tremendous. Um, so like I said, I would, I would recommend that it's, it's very fun. Nearly teared up at Pedro Martinez's hall of fame speech when he went, uh, when he went into the hall of fame, one of my favorite athletes of all time. I, I mean, I will have a moment when Adrian Beltre gets inducted on his first ballot <laughs> and he has the texas rangers cap and everyone tries to run and rub his head especially elvis andrews wherever elvis elvis andrews is at that point i am finally at the age where guys are going to be put in the hall of fame that i i not only watched play but i watched them play in their prime years and i guess beltray would be an example of that uh, clayton kershaw obviously one mm-hmm. M- miguel cabrera is the big one for me uh, just you know my, my my dad's a tigers fan i grew up watching God, at one point, you know, 120, 130 Tigers games a year, knowing that he'd never won a World Series with the Tigers and that Verlander never won a World Series with the Tigers, but then bounced to Houston and won one. Oh, my God, it just it just eats me alive because those teams should have been so much better. But when Cabrera goes into the hall, yeah, that'll probably be an emotional day for me. I mean, there's a reason why my puppy is named Pudge. It's after Padre Rodriguez when he went to the hall. And I I do love that. There are two dogs on this earth that I care about. One, and this is a deep cut reference that only a few people will get, Cheryl Scott's Weather Beagle. I'm a huge fan. (laughs) The other dog that I care about is Pudge. (laughs) If Nate is listening to this show, he will pop. That's the thing. I got to get on everything I'll lead and talk some Cheryl Scott. Well, the little legend right now has passed out. So if you ever hear any like scratching or noises in the background, it is Pudge. He has a special little playpen that he stays in as I record, but he's doing all right. But uh, that that conversation about Cooperstown, which has a population of 1,700, a lot more interesting than match two. Uh, the opener case, we had a eight-man tag team match, full complement of natural vibes. KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, Ginky Horiguchi, and UT versus the unaffiliated team of just complete just what do these guys talk about Sachi Yoko boy Pancho Managa Ho Ho Loon 
and representing Riku Dragon Pro Wrestling, the Dawn of Okinawa Gurken Mask. KZ got the win on Sachioko Boy for running elbow stra- smash in 10 minutes and 48 seconds. The thing is, Garukin Mask is actually very good. And I mean, at this point, he's he's up there in age. I don't know how much he can still go, but I genuinely enjoy whenever he pops up on tape. Yeah, I mean, he he turns 50 this year. So does he, his home it, promotion, does that ever air anywhere? Uh, well, Jay helpfully told us on commentary, the Riku Dragon shows that are that have happened since the show were on Twitcasting. Because they had all the Dragon Gate people in there. I would rather them film it on VHS tapes. I mean, I, that's easier to understand than <laughs> Twitcasting. I, I was asking because there was uh, he just wrestled Hubbo in a 22-minute singles match, and I would like Ooh. to track that down. But if it's on Twitcast, Twitcasting, that is not going to happen. Yeah, um, just so people know who he is a little bit more than we got into last time, he is a Osaka Pro guy, like, during, like, the last, like, the last parts of its peak, and he left with uh, Super Delphin to form Okinawa Pro Wrestling. I guess Super Delphin is out on that, and it's now Gurken Mask who does it. Yeah, just, Del- you know. Delphin does uh, Seafood Pro Wrestling now. Uh, does, does that still exist? I think more so than Osaka Pro does. Um, it, yeah. I, I think it exists in some capacity, but certainly not filmed anywhere. And, I mean, it has to be like the most local of local shows if it does. This might be the one promotion that uh, runs more, but no one knows anything about than Secret Base. <laughs> you know, Super Delphin, glad he came up. We'll be talking about him on next week's show, and Mike doesn't know why, uh, but Super Delphin will come up uh, next week. I can promise you that. As for this opener, you know, look, it's a natural vibes match. It was super fun. I thought everybody played their role well. I liked what Sachi Hoko Boy did. I specifically liked... Garukin mass chemistry with Susumo. I thought those two yeah. looked really good together, which is that's the thing. It's like my introduction to Garukin Mask was that 2016 Super J Cup, and he wrestled Kano in the first round of that tournament, and it was awesome. Like people left that tournament going, Who was this Garukin Mask guy? He killed it with Kano, uh, but Kano won in that tournament. I oh my god! I, what I would do for an oral history of the 2016 Super J Cup? I I mean I just wanted to talk to Takashi Okamura and, and ask him one question: How good? How full was this? Was the briefcase? <laughs> that that I remember, and I don't I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. I I once was talking to uh, no I'll, well I, I was once talk- you got kayfabe bit. I, I I will say I was once talking to a professional wrestler. And that could be a few, because there are a few different English speakers uh, on the Super J-Cup shows. I was once talking to a professional wrestler, and I asked him about that. It's like, hmm, those shows, something uh, something was off. Something didn't quite go right, did it? And I was like, I, I mean, you know, I, I covered both those shows on VoiceWrestling.com. My reviews are still up there. And it was like the the second night of that show... It's hard to explain, if you've never seen it, just how bad Taichi versus Liger was. And because of that, the uphill battle that the rest of this show had to deal with. Because there's like a super fun Matt Seidel versus Will Ospreay match on those shows. There's a, a Young Bucks versus Motor City Machine Guns match that is great. But once Taichi versus Liger happened, everyone's interest was dead. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I checked out immediately after Liger beat Ada, so... That is true. Uh, a match I, I, I rewatched recently, and it is still so much fun. Uh, 
I mean, Ata, hell of a baby face. Can't wait for it to happen again. Oh my god, Ready I would love it. it. Would, would that be just the best thing ever if after Dead or Alive we get a baby face Ata running King of Gate? I would fully support that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be real interesting. But yeah, no, this opener was solid. Uh, it was a fun opener. I mean, Natural Vibes gave this match the exact amount of respect as they should. It was pretty jokey. Uh, this was when the crowd accidentally did an H-A-G-E call. And everyone else in this match, I mean... The nice thing about, like, these openers, the way they do this, like, the people on the roster who aren't as skilled, I think that's a very uh, nice way of putting it. You only see them for, like, two minutes, and that's fine. And, you know, Natural Vibes, I am really stoked for a the April Kobe Samba Hall show when Takedo Kame comes back, and we get to see. I think he's probably going to be wearing a pair of overalls, case. so I hope you're prepared for that. Well, look, I'm hashtag team overalls. Unless Alexa Bliss is wearing them, because that is creepy. Uh, but other than that, you know, I love the overalls. I am afraid that they are positioning uh, Takeda Kame as the next Taiji Ishimori, which, in the scope of the dragon system, is obviously the worst thing you could do to a person. So I, I fear for him there. But Kame's coming back in April. Doi's coming back in April. There's a lot to look forward to. And there was a lot to enjoy on Memorial Gate 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, as we mentioned up front, the English version is up. It does not have a date of which it will be pulled down on. So you'll have that to go back and visit at your whim. I, Jay and Hoho are such so much fun. And it's something where I, uh, if I'm not watching live or immediately after and I'm not going to be waiting for the and if they're not live, I go to the English feed. Like, And it's usually something that I was pretty resistant to doing, but I have a great time with that. And if you just want to have a there was no commentary on it for the Japanese side, right? Oh boy, was the, I? I don't believe so. Yeah. So if you if you're someone who needs to have commentary, it will be up there in English until whenever. And if not, then it will be up as the Japanese version until the uh, third. Which I did look this up when you when we were talking about Super Dolphin. Uh, he was a Osaka Pro Tag Team Champion in 2019. Do you yeah. want to guess who his partner was? Was it Gamma? It was Gamma. Let me read you this match. This was at the Edeon Arena Osaka number two. This was the Osaka Pro 20th anniversary celebration uh, with the uh, subtitle of Welcome New Era. Osaka Pro tag team title match. Gamma and Super Dolphin defeated Magtu Kishiwada and Takashi Yoshida for the titles in 15 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, the main event was Subasa versus Billy King Kid. We had the bodyguard with Monday Ryu and Zeus versus Hide Kobata, uh, uh, Kushikatsu Oyagi and Tomura, and then Natural Vibes of KZ and Susumi Yokosuka versus the versus Takeokita and Ultimate Spider Junior. And, and Super Shisa was an opener. I have to see if this made tape anymore. This is very very weird and something I'm very much into. Yeah, if it happened in Osaka number two, I would think there's a shot. But I also, I mean. I don't know if I've seen Osaka Pro footage after 2010, maybe 2011. I mean, it just it's just like one day it just ceased to exist. I cannot get over the unhinged energy of Bodyguard Zeus and Monday Ryu on the same team. That is horrifying <laughs> to think about. Third from the top. Third from the top. That's insane. That is Gave like 13 that is a minutes, disgusting trio. And here's something to really state about this show. There was, 
all the matches with the exception of the main event were under 15 minute subasa versus kelly uh benny uh billy king kid 28 minutes and six seconds match probably is awesome billy king kid is a total pro yeah yeah but that is what we had for memorial gates uh, as i said i really enjoyed this show for like two and a half hours like our ratings weren't too far off it just was something that like i came into it this show thinking like all right it's really going to need the main event to pull off and the main event pulls off we, we have certain things here that could be fun nothing else i was especially thinking i was excellent maybe i was a little underwhelmed by pink benke versus hip-hop kakuda a little bit of higher expectations that didn't fulfill everything else was kind of what i expected and you know it was a good time as and you know that's what i care about is having a good time watching pro wrestling I, this this episode made me like this show more than I realized. So it's a it's a positive two thumbs up from me. Like I said in my review, Memorial Gate is one of the most digestible big shows you will see all year. So I highly recommend it. Yep. And as we move into April, we're closing out March. Uh, the next time that they will be back on the network, they're actually have finished their March schedule. They have no shows on thirty first or or the the 30th or the 31st the next show on the network will be next friday from tokyo cork and hall 6 30 friday start they they have ended the state of emergency there so they don't have to have a show where they're out at eight o'clock we only have two matches announced for the showcase and they are two matches that i mean they've been kind of been building one of them a whole lot and the other one you feel like that they'll be making a much bigger deal of but boy tokyo uh tokyo cork and hall we have Masuka- Mascara contra Mascara, a Diamante versus Bukotomo Dragon, and then the Naruki Doi comeback special six-man tag team match. Naruki Doi, Yamato, Dragon Kid versus the R.E.D. team of SB Kento, Hip Hop Kakuda, and Kai. I think the the main event is going to be outstanding. I am really, really excited for a Doi, Yamato, Dragon Kid trio, and specifically going against those guys. Now, I mean, it was interesting when you had... Uh, uh, SBK and Kai in there against Yamato and Dragon Kid. Now you throw in the wrinkle that Kakuta is also in this match. I, I think it means Doi is taking the fall. I think Doi is eating an ass to the face from Hip Hop Kakuta, and Kakuta's going to pin Doi in his return match. I think that, that it either has to be that or it has to be a no contest. And they do a no contest, then what are they going to do immediately right after? They're going to restart the match and then suddenly Speed Star hits and then and Masato Yoshino comes out, and then Ada comes out because his quest to retire him, and we have an impromptu eight-man tag. Special double comeback match. Like, it's either got to be Doi eating the butt and then uh, getting a lariat in God. I just, it, me being me, I just said that without thinking of any pretense whatsoever. That's We, we got we to gotta start getting drops on this show. If our listeners want to send us drops, uh, Mike Spears eating the butt needs to go in that folder immediately. Look, either scenario... I'm a fan of if if either of those happen I'm going to be really into that main event yeah I'm really so for that that's all we know for that that show and I mean that's next Friday so with our recording schedule we might have a full more full card to preview next week but I think we'll probably be dipping back into the buffet next week I know Casey you're alluding to something but I also know that there's some Dragon Gate future stuff for us to watch on the buffet that is true yeah so yeah there, there will be there'll be a new episode next week with plenty of stuff to talk about either a cork and preview or some super delphin stuff that i'm gonna send mike yep and i can't wait for it anything else you want to hit on before we got out of here yes one note uh it'll be up on voicesofwrestling.com by the time you are listening to this a 15 year retrospective of the blood generation versus do fixer match from ring of honor's first super card of honor 
I wrote an article, again, 15 years to the day since that match. I think it is the most influential match in modern wrestling history, and I get into that, as well as just how hard it was for the Dragon system to break into the United States. A lot of talk about MLW and even some TNA talk about trying to bring in Toriumon and Dragon Gate guys. Those never worked out. And of course, they end up, you know, Shima and Shingo and Ring of Honor at the end of 2005. And then the triple shot weekend with the Dragon Gate guys that, again, I, I, I think they changed the scope of professional wrestling with Blood Generation versus Doofixer at Supercard of Honor. So that will be up at voiceofwrestling.com by the time you're hearing this. Give it a read, and I appreciate it if, when you do. Yeah, and, you know, since tomorrow is going to be the 15-year anniversary, find some time to watch the match. It's on YouTube. It's free on Ring of Honor's YouTube. It's a tremendous gift. Yeah, it's one of the most special matches of the last 25 years. I think it's fair to say with that. But yeah, I'll be looking forward to that article as well. Uh, if you want to go back, my Kazma Sakamoto versus Benkei match. If you've not watched the show yet, I break down kind of both of their careers and both their leading to the moment and talking a whole about that as well. But I think that's going to do it for this week, Case. So you can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. You can follow Case underscore in your case, and I am at Fujiheya. But for Case, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week with another another episode. Take care.